Okay, let's do this. The New and Better Podcast, episode 22. Here's the tease. You know, you know things about yourself that nobody else knows. And so when it comes time to give mental embrace to the reality that God loves you, God loves you. It's easy to disqualify yourself. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital booyah base. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant. A better covenant based on better promises. So... Check your religion at the door, grab a beverage, grab a Bible, strap in, gird your loins. This is the New and Better Podcast. You brought a Bible, you might want to turn it to, oh, maybe Romans chapter 5. We'll be bouncing around in the scripture a lot tonight. But we're going to continue a series we started last week called... Keep yourselves in the love of God. It comes from Jude, Jude t- verse 21. If you back up and get a running start at it at verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Awaiting, anticipating, receiving, I'm paraphrasing here based on the Greek, the mercy of uh, Jesus Christ to eternal, eternal life. So the operative phrase here is keep yourselves in the love of God. And what we saw last week when we unpacked that, uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, what that verse in the original language is saying is lock yourself up in the love of God. Well, we saw that it literally talks about putting something in custody and setting a guard over that thing that is being guarded. Keep yourselves under arrest, in custody, guarded in the love of God, in your awareness, your understanding, in your, um, uh, in your sense of being loved by God. Be a prisoner of the love of God. And it's implicit in that verse that if you need to guard, if you need to set a guard over something, it's in danger of escaping. Uh, something that you have to lock up and put a guard over can, can get out. It can run off. And we know that that's true. We know that uh, we, can, we, we can have moments and times and seasons in our Christian life where we feel, and, it, and it's not just feeling, but we feel and we know and we see and we sense that we're loved by God. But then we escape. We, we, we slip out. So, and we just in an introductory way saw last week that there's a couple of reasons why this is important. There are several reasons why it's important to lock yourself up and put yourself under guard in the love of God. The first thing that it does is that having a full full revelation and being in the love of God fixes our broken receivers. 
Uh, most of us as believers have a broken receiver uh, from God. There are, there are things that God has provided for us. There are things that God wants us to have, uh, that they're in the atonement. They've been provided and supplied by heaven. They belong to us. But often we have flawed and broken receivers because on, on our side, there's these feelings of unworthiness, feelings of not qualifying, uh, a sense of, uh, of undeservedness, uh, and there are all these things that keep us from fully basically just receiving what God is trying to hand us. We have broken, flawed, uh, or weak receivers. So keeping ourselves in the love of God fixes our broken receivers. Keeping yourself in the love of God frees us to love others. It can seem, at first blush, somewhat self-oriented and self-centered to be concentrating and focusing on keeping yourself in the love of God because it puts the attention on yourself. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're only truly free to love and to serve others when we are secure in how loved we really are. Mm -hmm. That is what uh, turns us loose and liberates us to be unself-conscious servers and, and conduits, distributors of the love and life of God. Uh, we're, we're, as long as we are operating in what you, you could call, and has it's been called an orphan spirit, when, when our hearts aren't crying, Abba, Father, when the response of the spirit isn't uh, instantly and instinctively, God is my daddy, my papa, we, are self, we, be, we become self-conscious, uh, we're easily offended, uh, we're subject to woundedness by rejection. Uh, if our love is not reciprocated, there's this woundedness, but the moment we are locked up and under guard in the love of God, we are suddenly and completely securely free to, for, to be unself-conscious to not be self-absorbed and self-aware, to walk through life and, and to walk into a room and, and not be preoccupied with what do these people think about me? Uh, do they approve me? Am I received? Am I accepted? Am I uh, respected or am I admired? All of those self-conscious thoughts go away once we're locked up in the love of God and we're fully free to love others. This is what Jesus modeled. If you just read the Gospels and just watch how Jesus walked, not so much being concentrated on what, what the theology is of what he was saying, but look at how he walked. Look at how he operated among people. What you see is somebody who is so completely secure in who they are and in their, their love relationship with God that they can walk into a room and it can, and, and it can be all about you. It's, it's all, in, wherever Jesus was, he was fully present and he was all about the person he was talking to, regardless of their status or their station or how, whether they rejected him or loved him or appreciated him or not. He was fully there and fully for, for them. And the reason he could be that was because of his, his sense of, who, of, of his love connection with God. So being in the love of God fixes our broken receivers. Being in the love of God frees us to love and then it frees us to serve. The reason Jesus could basically strip to the waist, tie a towel around himself and wash filthy feet 
uh, even as the Son of God, was because uh, he knew who he was. He, he knew exactly how loved uh, he was. It became his, uh, his identity. Loved by God was not a feeling for Jesus. Loved by God was who he was. That he embraced that to the at the molecular level uh, of his body and soul, so that that's who he was. That was his identity. So that was just sort of introductory, and and now we're going to dive into how. So how do we do that? How do we become people who are locked up and under guard in the love of God? And it happens at two levels. We mentioned last week that it's not just enough to get it into our heads, uh, although. Uh, getting it into our heads is necessary, but it's not the only thing that's necessary. In other words, uh, it is possible to renew your mind to the fact that God loves you and still not have it here at the spirit level. It can be at the head level only. I used to speak out more than I have in a while, but I used to have this thing that I would do whenever I was speaking to a group of people who were new to me and I was new to them. And if I was a complete stranger, I would say, well, you know, you don't know me. I don't know you, but I know something about you. I know something about you at a very intimate, personal level. And of course, you tell somebody who doesn't know you that they have their attention. And I would say, here's what I know about you. You've underestimated how much God loves you. You've underestimated how much God loves you. However much you think he does, however much you believe he does, it is, it is less than he really does. So tonight we're going to explore the keys to a mind-level understanding of the love of God. And, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to move beyond that because we have to. We ultimately have to move to a spirit-level understanding of God, getting a revelation of the love of God. But a, a necessary prerequisite is the renewing of, their, of our minds. The, we, we've heard it all our, our lives. If you grew up in a Christian home, if you grew up in church, you heard it since you were a little kid. God loves you. God loves you. God is love, and God loves you. And we've heard it so much and so often that it's become a trite, meaningless cliche. Yes, I, I know that. I know God loves me. I know God loves us. And the fact of the matter is, is that for most of us, here's the reality of our thinking about the love of God. We're more aware that God loves us than God loves me. It's easy to believe. It's easy to read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And to say, absolutely, I know that's true. God clearly loves people. God clearly loves the world. He clearly loves us. And to, and to give mental assent to that collective love of God. That, that, that to mentally embrace and to and to absolutely believe there's this general sense of where love God's love is upon people but then when we get to ourselves it's very very easy for us to think that really if we get gut level honest we feel less lovable by God than everyone else 
And that's true because we know ourselves better than everyone else. You, you know, I know what I think. I know what I've done. I know what I'm capable of. And in the, in the darkest recesses of my heart and my imagination, I know what's there that nobody else knows. And the same is true for you. You know, you know things about yourself that nobody else knows. And so when it comes time to give mental embrace to the reality that God loves you, God loves you. It's easy to disqualify yourself and to have some part of your soul, some part of your mind or thinking say, yes, I know, but I know that, but God loves you. So there's this very real need to undergo the process of renewing our minds. You know, we know that transformation comes by the renewing of our minds. Uh, so to, to replace those disqualifying thoughts with, with the truth. And the truth is, is that God doesn't just love us. God loves you. He's placed his love. He has intentionally placed his love upon you. Just as you are. So how do we get there? How do we renew our minds? The first thing we do is we meditate on it. We saw last week that meditation means to, to examine something and look at it from every possible side and also to mutter it, to murmur, to murmur it, uh, to mumble it. So it's very important to just spend time on a regular basis celebrating, thinking about, examining from every side particularly using the word. And the word is filled with expressions of God's love for us as individuals. But to meditate on it. There's power in, especially when, you, when we're trying to, to really establish our, our thinking in this as, a, as our default understanding that God just doesn't love us, God loves me, is to put it before our eyes. Put it, put it on notes uh, and stick it on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your uh, laptop notes. I am desperately loved by God. The scriptures like uh, Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah 31.3. God has loved you with an everlasting love. God loves me with an everlasting love. Personalize it. Take Take the scriptures about the love of God and personalize them and keep them in your mouth and before your eyes and begin to make your sense of being loved by God absolutely personal. And one of the most powerful things you can do to renew your mind and deepen your sense of understanding of how much God loves you is to keep the cross in view. Keep the cross in view. Look at the cross, imagine it, read about it, because at the cross, God's love for you was on display. God's love for me was on display at the cross. I wrote a book for someone else a few years ago. I've read out of it in the past. 
But I just wanted to read just a short section. I know it's weird to be read to. This, won't, uh, this isn't a super long section, but it is about how essentially the cross is God's love for you on display. First, Calvary's cross is the place where God's unfathomable provision intersects with our deepest and most basic need. Put another way, it is where the furious love of God Almighty encounters our broken and shattered hearts. Never before or since has such love been on open display as it was on Calvary's tree. Words fail. The intellect staggers. As the late Richard John Newhouse wrote in Death on a Friday Afternoon, all the theories of atonement are but probings into mystery, the mystery of a love that did not have to be but was and is. Spurgeon put it this way, Come, believer, and contemplate this sublime truth just proclaimed to thee in simple monosyllables. He laid down his life for us. Yes, Jesus proved his friendship in his willingness to become one of us and in his willingness to be with us and in his proclamation that he was sent on a mission of purpose to reclaim us. But most of all, that love and friendship were proven once and for all, beyond all question, on that cross. Hey, we're just getting warmed up here. The best stuff is still ahead. But first, you're going to want to experience the revelatory explosion I call page two. If we're being real, not religious, real, we can all admit that from time to time we read a verse or a passage in the Bible and say, wait, what? Or what was that? This is even true with the uh, red letters in our Bibles. Yes, even some of the sayings and doings of Jesus are mysterious, and when we read them, they leave us scratching our heads. Those red letters contain a lot of surprises, a few shocks, even some scandals. Well, here's great news. In my new Kindle ebook, Jesus Said What Now? Yours truly, David A. Holland, has chosen 10 of the biggest, toughest mysteries and hard sayings of Jesus and solved them for you. As you read this little jewel of a book, you'll discover that often a little historical perspective or a slight shift in theological paradigm can take something that seemed confusing or contradictory or just plain weird and make it make beautiful, encouraging sense. Now, you're just a couple of clicks away from having your grubby mitts on your very own electronic copy of Jesus Said What Now? You'll find a link at the top of my website at davidaholland.com. So run, don't walk your clicky finger over to davidaholland.com and grab it. I suspect it will blow your mind and strengthen your faith at the same time. Okay, now back to the life-transforming content I'm serving up absolutely free of charge today. Can you see him? There he hangs, pale and pallid, bleeding from every pore in his body, bloodletting by which the very veins of God himself were emptied. And with every red drop that flows from his riven side and runs freely down his naked flank and drips off his toes into bloody pools on the earth, each splash says, I'm doing this for you. Truer words have never been penned than these. What a friend we have in Jesus.
So keeping the cross before us uh, in our vision, in our imaginations, is a powerful way to begin to renew our minds to how much we really are loved by God. There are two types of scriptures to, to meditate and to, and to integrate into our thinking. One, uh, declare, uh, one type declares that God's, God has set his love upon us. God has set his love upon us. In 1 John 4.10, uh, you don't have to turn there, but you may want to write it down. Uh, 1 John 4.10, uh, John writes, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loved us and sent his son. Uh, look at Romans 5. I told you to go to Romans chapter 5. Uh, begin at, look at Romans 5, 8 and 9. Somebody read that for us. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Again, the cross is a demonstration of God's love that he has set his love upon us. <clears throat> Uh, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, God's, God has set his love upon us like the lost coin, uh, the lost sheep or that lost son. But that's not the only thing about God's love that's true. Yes, he's fastened his love upon us, but he's also put his love in us. God's love is upon you. God's love is in you. Again, in Romans 5, uh, somebody back up and look at, uh, read Romans 5, 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The old King James says, you know, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. I think the New American Standard, or maybe it's the New King James says, that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. But it's not just... Uh, the interesting thing about that verse is the agent of that pouring. Mm -hmm. The agent of the pouring is who? The Holy, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, one of his ministries is to pour out the love of God into our hearts. Which makes sense when we think back to Jude mm -hmm. 21, which says, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and thereby keeping yourself in the love of God. The Holy Spirit is the love pourer out. Uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, 38 and 39 says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, uh, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are all elements for mind renewal, that God has basically fastened his love upon us. He's put his love inside of us. The Holy Spirit is distributing and pouring that love. And there's a third thing to uh, renew our minds to. It's that God's love is covenantal. God's love is covenantal. There's an Old Testament word that's frequently translated loving kindness Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. We've talked about it before. And that Hebrew word is chesed, uh, often spelled H-E-S-E-D or sometimes C-H-E-S-E-D. When you see that, it's the same as, uh, it's the same sound as in like Hanukkah. Uh, Chesed refers to God's covenant love. In other words, God's love for you is not just a feeling. It's not just a choice. The, The love that God has placed upon you and in you is covenantal in nature. In other words, it's based upon an unbreakable promise. He could only, he could only remove his love from you that he's fastened upon you by being by unrighteously being un, covenantally unfaithful, especially when that, that that love is fastened upon us by the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacredness and the holiness of that blood fastens God's love upon us in a covenantal way. So often, uh, over and over in, in in the Bible, you'll see that uh, loving kindness. Uh, mentioned and, re- and referenced. That's, and every time you see it, it's that covenantal love. Just one place that you see it is in uh, Psalm 103, 8. I mean, it's in, it's in the Old Testament just scores of times. But uh, Psalm 103, 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. That word loving kindness is our word chesed. There are some other interesting words in that passage, and one of them, uh, it's interesting, the words translated compassionate and gracious are two words that in Hebrew, they kind of rhyme. Uh, you know, sometimes there's, we, we do these plays to, to plays on words that work in English, but if they were translated into another language, you'd lose that sense of, of wordplay. These words, um, compassionate and gracious, are a couple of Hebrew words. The, that are connected because they rhyme and sound the same. The word translated compassionate, like most Hebrew words, has a word picture associated with it. And it's the word of, of a, an expectant woman, like Grayson, uh, the way she feels about the life that's growing inside of her. Uh, you know, and any woman who, you know, if you've, if you've had children, you know as that growth, uh, that life is growing inside of you, there's a way you feel about that, that little thing that's growing inside of you, and you talk to it, and you, you care for it, and you watch what you eat, and you watch, um, you know, you're, you're, there, there's all of, you structure your entire life around the fact that this life is growing inside of you. And you love it, and you cherish it, and you can't wait to see it. That, all of that, is 
how God feels about you. You are, he sees you not, he, he sees you not just as you are, not just as you were, but as you ultimately will be. There's this thing in you that he's doing that's emerging. He is doing a work in you. He's fastened his love upon you. He called you. He's drawing you and me, and he's creating something unique in us. And, and that work, he feels about that work that he's doing in you like an expectant mother feels about the life that's growing inside of her. That is his compassion. The, the word gracious is an, just another dimension of his affection. And then all of that is rolled up in his covenant love, his loving kindness uh, that he's placed upon us. He's abounding in loving kindness. So we have to be intentional. If, if, if we're going to go lay the foundation for getting a, du- a du- supernatural revelation of the love of God, it will be a much easier thing to do if we lay this foundation by renewing our minds to it. We renew our minds to that by doing these things that we've talked about. Meditate on the scriptural truths. Put, those, put the word in our mouth. Personalize those words. Put it before us. Write it before us and, and, and keep it before us. And allow the image of the cross, of Jesus' finished work on the cross... Put that before us in our imaginations and let that speak more clearly and more loudly than any other words could possibly do. The other thing that I just want to plant in your understanding and your thinking before I stop and we can talk about this for a little bit and pray is, a, is the truth about something I just want you to consider as you're thinking about God's love for you. There is a truth, I think, that, that Gary Chapman, the writer, hit upon a few years ago that describes accurately the way we humans operate in love. Uh, I don't know that I could point to the Bible and show it to you in the Bible. Oh, I, I, I think I probably could, actually. But uh, what I'm talking about is the five, five love languages paradigm. I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, but whenever Tracy and I are doing pre-marriage counseling for a couple that we're going to marry, we, the first thing we do is make sure that they've read that book because it carries powerful insights to how to make sure that a person that you do love feels loved. Because it's not necessary, I mean, it's, it's one thing to love someone, but if you're going to be in relationship with them and you want, you want them to feel the love that you have, uh, and not everyone feels that sense of love the same way. Uh, this model uh, basically has identified five different ways People can feel, people tend to feel love. Uh, is everybody familiar with the whole, I don't need to uh, unpack it. But those five, five ways are um, quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, physical touch, and acts of service. And most of us, based on how we're wired by God, uniquely created and crafted from a brain wiring standpoint and temperament and, and also uh, the way our experiences in life have shaped us tend to express and feel love in a one of those ways more dominantly than all the others 
And if you can understand, if you, if you want somebody that you, that you do truly love to feel loved, it's very helpful to identify what that primary love language is. So, you know, for example, my wife is a quality of time person. She may be evolving into an acts of service person as well. But we change over time to a certain degree in the seasons of life. But for most of our married life, you know, Tracy's been a quality of time person. I'm a words of affirmation person. So, you know, I've loved her fiercely for, you know, for a long, long time. Whether or not she feels secure in that love, senses it, feels it, can vary uh, depending on uh, often how much time we've spent together, uh, how much of my individual undivided attention I've given her. My sense of her love for me, uh, you know, she's, she's loved me well for uh, more than three decades now. Uh, but my sense of that love can ebb and flow to a certain degree based on how much she's verbally expressed it lately. And that's just the way we're wired. So we think about that in terms of our human relationships, and that's a very valuable thing to think about. But I don't know if you've ever thought about it in terms of God's, your relationship with God. Because the fact of the matter is, um, you know, God is fluent in all five forms of the five love languages. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is that if we're going to be in a love relationship with God, uh, if you're a quality time person, then maybe you, you should give yourself some quality time with the Father. You know, um, quiet time is, uh, you know, we've all been had quiet time preached at us for a long, long time in sort of a take your medicine, eat your vitamins, eat your vegetables sort of way. It's do it, it's good for you whether you like it or not. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that this is, you know, time with God is important for all of us, but it's hyper important if you're a quality time person. Uh, if you're a words of affirmation person, person, put God's words of love for you in front of you, before you, hear and see those words of affirmation. If you're a gifts person, then spend some time thinking about all the gifts that God has given you. Apply your primary love language to your love relationship with God so that you can keep yourself in the love of God. Have you ever thought about that? Whatever that is, whatever the way God wired you to sense and feel and experience love, God has fastened his love upon you. That is a fact. But your sense of it, your experience of it, can vary by whether or not you've given your, you know, you're giving him opportunities to talk to you in your primary love language. Well, I think I've given you all the good news you can handle for one session. The only thing left to do is page three. So, have you connected with me on social media yet? What, in the name of all that's good and wholesome, are you waiting for? You'll find links to all my brilliant social media manifestations on my About page at davidaholland.com. That's davidaholland.com. That's it for this session. Until next time, stay at rest and at peace, and please remember, God is better than you think, and you're more loved than you know. <laughs>